Welcome everyone, I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There you can click the support tab and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now here's Fred. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality. And we are so excited to have Calvin Arsenia back as our guest. Thank you, Calvin, for joining us for a second session on Spirituality Adventures. Yeah, glad to be here. <laughs> so I, I've thoroughly enjoyed every conversation I've had with you and hope to have many, many more. But in this particular podcast, I would like to get into your musical career mm. and maybe start by just telling us, like, how did when when do you first remember, like, singing or playing an instrument? And like, did you grow up in a musical family and stuff like that? Wow. Um Music, I, I, I never knew that people weren't musical. I never, I never knew that until later. I never realized that because I was, I was singing since I was probably like 16 or sorry, no, since I was six, I remember writing songs about, about the world around me and I loved to sing in the bathroom as everyone does, but I would just spend hours was in the bathroom as you know somebody five six years old just like making up songs and, and experimenting with my voice and um i remember that <laughs> this is very somewhat embarrassing but calvin means bald and comes from the french word chauve uh which in it, it and i think i believe it, it developed from john calvin himself and that he was the first calvin and then everyone else was named after him subsequently and um and i was named after my my mother's grandfather the calvin part and arsenia is my father's grandfather's name and um and my little brother his name is ruben which means behold the sun and i wrote this whole epic song about how he got the better name. Oh wow! <laughs> At six years old. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. I remember very specifically this song because it was very heart wrenching. Um, oh wow! <laughs> so it started and, young. Uh, it started young, and so, but my first like show like that I presented with my music uh, was actually on Good Friday, in in the year uh, two thousand and ten. Um, and I, and I recorded, uh, uh, an EP, um, several songs, basically the set list I was planning to do that night, I recorded, um, in my friend's shower and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I did it at, at the Starbucks down the street from my parents' house and, um, presented, uh, these songs with a band that had never really rehearsed entirely. And I painted um, illustrations of each of the songs I was going to do, like some of the imagery of those songs, I painted illustrations of the songs and built these topiary uh, sculptures out of fabric and, and wood, like frames. And then I sewed the paintings 
onto these fabric hmm. topiaries. And, um, and so people could go up and look at the background that like, that was the backdrop of, of the set at Starbucks. And, um, I only used those paintings once. I only used those topiaries once. And they were like, you know, like a two by four stuck in cement and then like a, a green fabric frame, you know, kind of like a rectangular shape that kind of looked like a, a topiary in a pot. And, um, my dad eventually th- threw them away. <laughs> oh, wow. But was this a Starbucks but, down in yeah. Olathe or? Yeah, the one off of 101st and, and Black Bob. Wow. Yeah, they had recently opened, never had music before that, never had music since, as far as I know. Interesting. Was this after, but you, this was after your, your, like your career in worship leading? I mean, it was in the middle of it. Middle so, of it. okay. Yeah. So this was in the middle of it. And a lot of my songs were very much about um, God and, and, you know, trying to, to stay on the straight and narrow and uh, no puns intended. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh and just dealing, dealing with the qualms of my own heart and, and, and being frustrated that I, that I could not reach this perf- perfection that I felt I owed it to God and that I owed it to myself and that I owed it to my community and, um, being frustrated with the nuance of, of, of being human. Mm-hmm. Were, were any of your family members musical? Like, did you grow up around music or instruments or singing or anything like that? My mom, I mean, my mom grew up in choirs and singing. She took piano lessons as, as a young person. And my, my dad really loved music and, and they both played music around the house a lot. Um, but neither of them are, 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 are professional musicians. Okay. And my older brother, um, who was seven years older than me, a little bit like an older cousin or like an uncle and the family kind of dynamic, um, Cause we just, we were just never like super close growing up and he was in show choirs. And so I, we would go and see him perform in his show choirs and he was also in band and, and played trumpet. And so there's music always around. And like, there was never this feeling like, oh, you, you can't do that because it's hard or like, like, like there was just never that feeling. And although, you know, my parents, like every human are not perfect, what they were really, really good at with me was never shooting down my ideas and never saying, oh, you can't do that. They weren't always like super like, yeah, go get it. And we'll support you every step of the way. They weren't those people either, but they were just like, if you're going to do it, do it with excellence. And then, and so they kind of re- released me to my own, to my own devices. And um, luckily for the most part, those have been really good things. <laughs> awesome. So were, was the church the first place that you performed? Was that really kind of the first yeah. place? Yeah. And it was very, I don't even know how it happened. Um, I was in a children's choir um, and at the age of 12, there was a, a, a musical by the name of The Promise that came, it was like a, like a, a pageant play that came from Branson to the church that I was going to and they were doing a week long of shows. They were needing a whole bunch of people from, from the church to be part of that. So I think actually this children's choir developed as a part of that, like, like, like they, they, they formed it so that there would be a children's choir, um, to open this, uh, show. And so there were, I don't know, seven shows in a week or something like that. And, and they asked me to do the solo for this little, this little lot of mine. And so I, I sang this kind of funny, jazzy, soulful 
solo. Um, and, and I'm, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that that was the first, the first time I ever sang like in front of anybody on stage. And I was very shy and, and kind of didn't understand why people were having me sing. Like, it was just like, I, everyone sings <laughs> like like everyone sings it's it's this is not extraordinary you sing we all sing we all we have voices people sing and um and then and then my friend or sorry, not my friend so sorry my cousin um my cousin asked me to sing at her wedding which was the prayer by um that has been done by Andre Bocelli and Josh Groban and um and so that, that's probably the first time that I took singing really seriously the 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 director of um of that children's choir gave me a Josh Groban album and said I think you'll like this, hmm. and so I, I became kind of obsessed with like classical singing and classical technique and then and then I ended up singing that song in at a wedding at twelve years old in perfect Italian or at least as perfect as, as I could get it. I we, my mom hooked me up with a with a with an Italian teacher like a a native speaker from Italy and we went through the song like each word line by line at 12 years old and I sang this song wow and um and study like worked really really hard to make sure that it was perfect and um and so yeah th those are some of my like formative experiences mm -hmm. with uh, like like with performance and then after that I um somebody kind of like charged me with a guitar like they gave me a, a guitar to loan and was like a friend of mine uh, in, in middle school she loves country music and I hated country music, but she got, she, she, her dad got her an acoustic guitar for Christmas. And by the time February came around, she had already given up learning how to play and said, Calvin, you're really musical. Why don't you borrow my guitar? And then once you figure out how to play it, um, teach me how to play. And so I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And, and by the time June of that year came around, so this was the year following, I was 13 then, by the time June came around, um, I, I was already playing for Bible studies and, and, and kind of on a regular basis right. playing for, for things that were kind of auxiliary to, to church experiences. Yeah. So it's so fascinating to me to, just as I've followed uh, musicians and songwriters from all over the world, actually, um, so many of them got their start in churches. It's just it's just a place to to showcase uh, kids and their talents and all these different performances, whether it's Christ Christmas or Easter or any number of places. So mm -hmm. it's really it's really has been a birthplace for so much music and in, in the African American community. Um, you know, even your hip hop artists and most of them started in church, you know, it's interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. So, well, and, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's just, it is a, it's a community, you know? And, and I think sometimes we forget that that's like the first part is that it's the people gathering yes. and all those individuals. And, um, besides all the baggage that comes after that, there is that community a aspect. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of the, it's one of the cool things that I think, you know, has, has come out of, um, the the church community around the world is is music and mm -hmm. and uh, birthplace for that stuff. Well, um, your training was was interesting to me. Uh, it's not like you took a super formal route, but you've trained with 
some amazing people. Uh, if I understand right, you've done classical voice training with some with with a with a wonderful teacher. You're you're known for your harp playing, but you also do mm. guitar and keyboards and and uh, you've you, you've and there's a I, I talk a little bit about your training and especially maybe in classical singing and the harp that really fascinated me because there's such a small community worldwide. It sounds like that know the harp like you know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Share um, a little bit about well, classical that. singing. What, the harp, especially yeah, and classical the, the, singing the, too. For sure. So I'll just, you know, cursory about the, the classical singing. I was in choirs and stuff in high school and um, my senior year of high school, I was in four choirs at, at school. Um, and then, and I just loved, I loved the feeling that, that you get when you're singing acapella and harmony. And, um, and that kind of got me into a little bit of trouble, like as a singer outside of that context, because I was kind of a choir boy, like, um, and a lot of the people who were doing music in, in the scene, so to speak, were more punk rock or rock and roll or indie and kind of had these like, you know, soft, wispy, very conversational voices. And so for me to come out of the gate, like with like an acoustic guitar and like super like lofty and singing and belting these notes and singing super high and super low and, and really playing with the voice, thinking of it as an instrument more than a, you know, device for, for words. Um, it's, it kind of set me aside and I felt like an out, like an outsider a lot of the time in those communities. And, um, and it's probably, you know, a, a, around that, you know, accepting that feeling of being an outsider and accepting that feeling of like, you know what, I'm just what the people that I admire, both like on a, on a, on a world, world scale, like, like people who, whose work I'm a fan of and the people who I admire in my personal life both have the same thing in common where where they have allowed themselves to be themselves in whatever weird ways that are their weird ways and that if I'm to learn anything from their experiences that I need to just be myself and and then we'll deal with it <laughs> and rather than trying to aspire or, or 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 fashion myself after these other people in in the ways that they are specific themselves that if I just be myself then everything will be okay and that's like been like the lifelong hypothesis is like if I just settle down figure out what I want to do figure out what I like figure out how I want to do it then I'm pretty sure things will go great <laughs> it's, and so, well, you know and so many things in life it's like getting comfortable with your own skin and who you are and yeah it's I, even in pastoring, I would have people that I, you know, would look like, oh, you know, I think about, oh, I wish I could be like them or this person or that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I'd try maybe at times to be like somebody else and then it just wouldn't work. Right. And it's like, right. okay, I got to be myself, you know, it's, yeah, and, that, yeah, and yeah. it's a journey. <laughs> it's like, I'm still, I'm still on that journey. It's yeah. really interesting. And yes, and then the harp came about because um, I was I was obsessed with artists like Joanna Newsom and Bjork and Florence and the Machine was very popular around this oh, time. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, around the time right after that Starbucks show, uh -huh. I, I I started trying to collaborate with other musicians, and I was like, well, my vision for my work is is very orchestral and very like 
like cinematic and theatrical and and how do I how do I build this sound I, I often had female um like a vo- vocal accompaniment with me like people singing harmonies and stuff which is also very common in a worship band situation and and so I had you know these amazing singers I was singing with doing harmonies with and I had um guitar players and bass players and some drummers in my life at that time but I didn't have any harp players and so I went on a hunt around Kansas City to find a young vibrant harpist that would wanted to experiment and and just jam and didn't require too much uh, rehearsal and at that time I wasn't able to really score for harp yet so they would have to be able to write their own parts and and come you know be be at all the shows and um and and just like fit in to you know the little th- thing I was creating, which was a lot of improvisation, and and I found some very talented and beautiful spirits and individuals, um, but I also needed them to do all of this for free, and so <laughs> so although I met awesome harpists in the t- in town, um, you know nobody quite fit exactly what I, what I needed, so I decided to rent a harp from a local harp. Uh, studio, which yes, we have that in Kansas City, a woman who had multiple harps and, and taught from her home. And I couldn't afford to take lessons, but I could afford to, to rent the harp. And so I rented the harp, borrowed my boss's car. At the time, by the way, I was working as um, as like an estimator for a, for a, a construction subcontractor. So I borrowed my car, my, my boss's uh suburban to go pick up the harp because i wasn't sure if my car was going to fit it and it was a celtic harp which is a little smaller version the, the full size of a celtic harp is smaller than, than the classical harp and so it did fit in my car but anyway the, the point is i made it this whole to do i went and picked up the harp and um and the, the woman you know very typical harp harp player she was middle-aged woman kind of small uh lady and and i just didn't want to intimidate her you know and 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 or, or for her to not trust me because i was like i i promise i'll take care of it like i actually want to play i'm actually gonna learn i'll pay every month and other things and much to her chagrin i i remember uh driving off with that harp and uh that was the beginning of of the rest of the story i think mm. <laughs> and it's an elite group worldwide that that uh or I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it's not. Ex- exclusive would be exclusive. maybe the word I would yeah, use okay. just yeah. because, but, but there is some elitism in, in it too. And, and that makes it very complicated because if you have to, if you think about the generational circumstances that must allow for one to even touch a harp. Right. It's expensive, it's, they're, right? They're very <laughs> expensive. They're very awkward to move around. They're not that easy to play. They're very hard to keep in tune. The maintenance alone is, is quite a burden. Um, to, I mean, some harps you could buy a house with, like literally sell the harp, buy a house, cash, full out. Wow. Um, mine is not quite that expensive, or at least depends on the house. Um, but I, I got this harp last year at the at the onset of the pandemic as a result of multiple people donating and, and supporting to make that happen. Mm. And prior to that, I did not own a harp. I had been playing ones that I'd borrowed or leased. And, um, and I, and, and, you know, I started playing harp at 20 years old. I, I was, I was not a kid and it wasn't something that my parents manifested for me or 
and, and that's not a problem either, but in the general story of harpists tends to be that they wanted to play as a young child. They started on piano because that's what harp teachers always tell them to do. They started on piano and by some means of a trust fund or some other like financial device, they were able to buy uh, the instrument. And, um, and so, and then they, they tend to be classical based, only playing classical music. They tend to not really do much improvisation. They tend to, um, to not really write that much. They're more like contractors and, and, and a lot of them become artists because of that, you know, the, the intensity uh, by which they've studied, but, but classical musicians, I think approach music in a, in a much, in a, like in a very specific way that is like, I need to, to, to manifest, I need to, uh, to, to showcase the work of the composer and the work of the conductor. And so I will do what it takes to be a part of this, this mass, this, these, these, this group of people, rather than trying to express their own hearts cry. And, and so what I, what I do with the harp, there is a community of kind of outlier harpists, a community of people who, um, who do maybe started as an adult, maybe made their own way to the instrument in some kind of fashion and are doing something of their own with it. And, and, you know, a lot of us know each other, I would say in the world, because we're just so weird and <laughs> have sought the, the companionship of one another. Um, but, uh, but yeah, what I, I, I like to make the harp sexy and, um, and to try to kind of by a living metaphor, use this instrument that's been, um, mostly used to depict an angelic behavior um, and to kind of call sexuality and and heartbreak and and dancing and these kinds of other experiences that they are also holy just like worship is holy just like heaven is holy that the whole experience of, of being human is 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 worthy of reverence and um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with it now okay so you i was gonna ask since you brought that topic up um the first time we talked i think you stated a like sort of a mission statement of what you try to do in like a live event yeah and um can you and it included the word transcendence i can't remember exactly what it was but this this connection with the sacred and transcendence mm-hmm. and of course this is spirituality adventure so this obviously <laughs> intrigues me right uh, yes yes yeah <laughs> well I, I I say that I that I I want to curate and create moments of transcendence and and then there are offshoots off of that but what I and actually it's funny that you mentioned Sigaros earlier because. Um, we were talking about language, and did I say that on on the podcast or that? I don't. Was I don't pre, think so. It was before podcast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so some people pre, might yes. not know that Seeger Rose okay. band from Iceland. Yes. Yeah. We we chatted um, about their 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 unique language. They made up yes. a language to do a songs anyway. And in in, in in relation to speaking in tongues, but I remember um, in my in because in, in the worship band community, they there are musicians like all throughout the town, you know, all throughout Kansas city that kind of are connected and, and know each other. And, and some of them play in like, you know, alternative Christian bands and stuff like that. So, so we, 
there were like lots of influences in my life and people, musicians who were, were in the worship community that were showing me things. And the conversation about Sigur came up because they had played a show in Kansas City and, and people said that they had a really profound experience with it. And at that time, I was not listening to anything that wasn't explicitly worship music. Christian, Christian rock didn't count. Like... I like had friends that listened to like Reliant K and like, uh, I don't know, people like that. Or Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, the people who were were considered to be Christians and spoke about their Christianity. But I was like, no, that's not, that's not hardcore enough for me. So (laughs) only music that's like literally like bringing you into the presence of God is what I'm going to listen to. Um, And so (laughs) when I heard people describe their experience with Gross as this like profoundly spiritual experience that there was weeping and that there was like that they were just like I, I I will never be the same. I was like okay, that man is not a Christian, and not only is he not a Christian, he's also a, a homosexual, and if he is able to change the how the room feels and with his voice and with those musicians, it's surely demon fueled. So I'm never going to that and and he must be evil so never never will i listen to cigarettes fast oh, forward wow. two years fast forward two years <laughs> later uh Yonsi, or maybe about two years yonsi came back to town on a solo tour with his partner alex and and did a today um a tour of his album called go do and the same guy who introduced me to the to the music of cigarettes bought me a ticket to go and see this show and the show um had a had a set you can look it up online um about the tour it was a an opera house an opera company that had developed this like a stage setting that was inspired by a burned down taxidermy shop and so they had all these like uh, windows and and wood and kind of melted plexiglass and and then projections of these animals that had been that were like being burned up uh, or had been burned um, used and made into animations and projections on on all this, uh, the panes and the windows and, and layers of projection. And so there was this like amazing, profound visual experience. This was at Liberty Hall in, um, in Lawrence. And then there was um, the music and the voice and the way that they would build these, these epic like, experiences in this in the music with the with the kick drum and the and the strings and the pianos and and the effects and the reverbs and and the lights and the strobes and i just remember i mean my my skin's crawling just now even remembering that experience because it was so profound to me that that i was having this experience that was beyond words that was beyond me sitting and, and watching a band i was being lifted out of my skin and the room was being lifted out of its skin and 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 then the show was over and I was silent for about half an hour. I remember I was just shaking my head. I was like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that I felt the same, the same feeling of being in the presence of God in this scenario. And, and I guess it just really, it, it made me think, it made me stop and wonder, maybe there is something to this music thing. And, and I've been playing music for a long time, but like maybe there's something about just sharing. Maybe there's something about about the ritual of producing a show. Maybe there's something to theater. Maybe there's something to to trying a little bit more than just having a an acoustic guitar and a voice. And and so I became uh, you know um, 
just like obsessed with 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 recreating that sensation, that feeling of spirit outside of the context of church, and using some of the rituals of of lighting and sound that I had learned in going to mega churches, um, because there was like some cinematic or theatrical elements to that experience too. Um, watching my pastors wearing foundation every Sunday morning, you know what I mean? Just so that they don't look like a ghost under the, under the stage lights. And I mean, and this is their language, not mine. Um, and, and having like that theatrical element and rehearsals and whatnot. So, so it wasn't too far removed, but the idea of, of being at a, a secular venue, experiencing something, this moment of transcendence and and thinking about you know and the, the train of thought goes down to people who go to festivals or who go to concerts with their with their favorite bands who people who who, who one time in their life get to experience this right not not every person who's a, who goes to concerts or who who is at a show gets to do that very often oftentimes it's like once twice three times in a lifetime thing and they've you know spent the, all this money. They've you know got a babysitter for their kids. They they took time off from work. Um, whatever the sacrifice is, whatever allowed them to be in that room, they have made a sacrifice to be there. And and I feel, I know that it's my duty and privilege to do something with that sacrifice that would allow that would change their life that that could should change their life forever and and to benefit them. So, so when I'm producing these shows, it's different when I'm just playing on a corner and I don't like to do that very often. I do it sometimes, but, but what I like to do is to create these, these very elaborate sensory experiences that allow people to, to, to feel open to exploring themselves, that they watch, that they're watching me explore my inner workings, that they're watching me find the edge of myself. And, and, and for, for, for me, it's like that there's a spiritual practice of like, okay, what is something that I'm afraid to say? <laughs> There's something that, that, I, that I'm afraid that I'm afraid that I'm experiencing. What, what, what am I afraid to admit? And a lot of my songs start in that space. A lot of my shows start with that question. Um, and like you, you, I had, um, I don't know if it was a, it was an interview that you read and you commented on um, about, about, you know, if I, if I, will my audience accept me if I am fully myself in right. front of them? Mm-hmm. And, and because in, in my church experience, I, I knew that was not, that was, that was not the case. I watched so many people get, get, get witch hunted based on, based on either expressing doubts or, or, or something being revealed about themselves that they had been hiding for a long time. And, and, and so, I knew what the, what the experience was for a congregation to address another human in their midst, someone that they have claimed to know and love. I had seen them <laughs> burn them at the stake. And so, so a lot of my, like, you know, it's like preemptive trauma, preemptive, uh, you know, things that never really happened to me, but I made sure that never happened to me. And so now it's like, okay, I, I set the rules of the room. I I'm, I'm trying to, to see, you know, for instance, if, if my greatest fear in life was for somebody to, to think that I was girly, for someone to call me, to call me effeminate, or to say that I was limp-wristed, if that, at some point in my life, that was my deepest fear. So what do I do with that? 
I go on stage wearing a tutu and heels. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I bare my soul. And I say, would you love me if I dressed like this? Do you still love me now? Do I still get to hold on to my humanity if I wear a dress on stage? Interesting, yeah. And the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm still a human and all of my feelings are valid and my experience is valid. And oftentimes I, I like to I like to change clothes on stage. So it's like, so I'm in something very masculine and then go to something very feminine and then I go back or, or whatever. You know, I like to show this narrative because it's like, if you accept me this way, then will you accept me this way? Mm -hmm. And will I accept myself this way? Mm. And... Um, and if you accept me, maybe I can accept me. And it's, it's, there's this yeah. play there, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so brave. And I mean, here I am sitting here at my age and I, you know, I certainly still have those thoughts, acceptance, rejection, all those things that run yeah. through my brain, you know? And I've been yeah. in front of audiences most of, most of my life for a different yeah. reason, speaking and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. So I, so Brene Brown wrote a book called Braving the Wilderness that is really about belonging. And really it's, it's about spirituality as I would define spirituality as, as connecting with self, others, and something greater than you. She would say maybe like belonging to self, mm. others, and something greater than you. She has a whole chapter on basically this idea of, she calls it uh, hold hands with strangers. Mm. And she talks about how there's these, uh, community events either around joy so it can be a music festival it could be a it could be a soccer game or a mm. football stadium of people who who unite in their humanity around something and then something transcendent happens in that space or it can be people uniting in their humanity around pain mm. maybe at a funeral or something like that where all the barriers that we have between each other and all the hatreds and all the and all the prejudices and everything that separates us in this world that we live in all of a sudden melt away into this transcendent moment where we're human and we're connected and something magical and transcendent happens and it's, it's sacred and it yeah. connects us to something greater yeah. than all of us. Right. I'm obsessed with that. It's beautiful. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm getting chills talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit, I because I, I, I want to leave a little bit of time to talk about some of your actual <laughs> music and then have you sing, sing a song. Sure. But sure. Um, this group called Quixotic that mm -hmm. is that you're a part of, or maybe you're a consultant yeah. with them or something. That's that's a group. I'm, that, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a part of the circus. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> but their ideas, you know, these events or these these that are fully immersive and multi-sensory mm -hmm. experiences that yeah. it, it sounds, you know, I, I love the idea of that. And I don't yeah. know, in the last talk we did, I talked about baptism meaning immersion. Mm -hmm. And then I think about this, yeah, the dyed, the dyed fabrics. Yeah. And yeah. then this fully, fully yeah. immersive multi-sensory experience. It's like baptizing people into the sacred transcendent experience. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Yeah. And well, and so, and this is also coming from something that, um, you know, it was, it, it's related. Uh, I, for a couple of years recently, um, like three years ago or so, four years, um, 
I was a teacher at a Montessori school and like a, just like an adjunct teacher, I taught French and music. And in that pedagogical lineage, um, they, they try to use this, all of the senses as ways to, to teach. And because everyone has different learning styles, everyone has different ways, gates in which information comes in. And, um, and so, so, you know, they, they teach handwriting by, by making letters out of, out of, um, sandpaper for, for the, for the young people to, to trace with their fingers. And, and so they, that they, so they practice just the, the texture and following along with the texture. And that gives their hand the, the, the motion and then the, the choreography to, um, to, to, to eventually pick up a pencil and, and use it, uh, in the way that they, they know how, like they've been trained to, to, to do it. And, um, and, and so, so, so I started thinking of my shows in a very different way. And this is something that, 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 you know, brought Quixotic and I together as this, these ideas of, of immersion and, and using how do we address each different kind of learning style in the, in the context of a performance or a ritual. And so there's something to, to, to see, something to smell, something to, to taste and things to hear. Not everybody goes to a concert to hear music. In fact, a better listening experience is, is, is in your car or like with a stereo system, with a recording, like, like the reason why you go to a show is to feel it mm -hmm. and to, and to experience it on, on, on every, on every, on every front. And so, so I tried to, I tried to make my, my, my shows like emotionally profound, but also physically and sensory profound as well. Mm. That's, that's really cool. Um, I love that. So, um, you have a, an album that came out in 2018 called Cantaloupe. And I want to talk about that, mm -hmm. that song here, uh, and actually spend a little bit of time talking about that. And then, and by the way, I love, I love the way you use metaphors like cantaloupe, like headlight, you know, being caught in a headlight and then in yeah. a relationship and then are you in or out and it feels yeah. the same, you know, uh, I loved toxic and that that's so powerful. Um, man. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, your LA sessions EP that came out in 2019, it kind of was, uh, it had a couple of, um, uh, songs that were new that you did on that mm -hmm. EP, but it was, it had some bluesy stuff, some smooth jazz, a little bit of jazz fusion at times. And then yeah. your honeydew, had a was an electronic uh ep mm -hmm. right same year 2019 mm -hmm. so i wanted people to know about your music and how you know it's on how can they access your music spotify apple music yeah. your website do you yeah. have a what's your website yeah it's just calvinarsenia.com okay and everything's there and uh, um yeah i i just for me, that 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 feeling of transcendence is everything, and so it doesn't matter genre or or or, or methodology. Um, the point is how how do we get into that place? Like you're talking about holding hands with holding hands with strangers. How do we get there? And and that can happen despite the genre. Mm -hmm. So cantaloupe. When I first, because I just started listening to your music, and I'm you know I dive into this cantaloupe. I I listened to it a couple of times, not getting it. You know, I don't know if you're like. <laughs> You know, because I was, I was thinking about the fruit, right. And I'm going, okay, now how is he using yeah. this metaphor of the cantaloupe, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> cause, cause you know, like you cut a cantaloupe and you, you actually, in your video cantaloupe, you use the fruit or the, the melon, right. 
And you think about that metaphor sometimes for me can be like a womb or, you know, something, Mm -hmm. uh, something sensual or a birthplace. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's, there's all those imageries there. But then I, that finally dawned on me, oh, wait, he's talking about a wedding (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) and how you don't want to elope because how will we know it's real? You know, we need to have mm-hmm. pictures for our kids and we need to do, uh, we need to have the whole thing with witnesses, a cloud of witnesses surrounding yeah. us. And, <laughs> and so then I started, I watched the, uh, the video cantaloupe live at the gym theater. So for people who aren't from Kansas city and maybe some people who don't know Kansas city, you know, I, so I'm a huge fan of, you know, the, the rebirth of 18th and vine I, I've I've been a, a an active fan of the Blue Room for decades. I, I've been going there for a mm-hmm. long time just to listen to music there. But so so the backdrop of the gym theater coupled up with the Marching Cobras band, um, coupled up with a gay wedding. You're connecting civil rights with gay rights in a wedding uh-huh. with all of these imageries. Uh-huh. So many layers to all these imageries as well. <laughs> so tell, yeah. so tell and, people, you know, that is, it's really brilliantly done. Um, and, uh, but you might tell people like a lot of people won't know what the gym theater is uh, and its history in Kansas city. A lot of people won't I'm, know the I'm, marching Cobras and its history in Kansas city. And then how you tied that all together into this song about a marriage, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I don't, I, I'm definitely not an expert on, on, on any of these things. Um, as far as like the history of those, of, of both of those institutions, I know that the, the gem theater is, is on the East side of town. And so I was a few years ago, I was feeling very, um, very moved and called to to do something about the red lining of Kansas City and to do something about um, black, just black plight in America. And in in the last twelve months, that's become even more intense. But before that, I was discovering James Baldwin and and particularly his work and his language around racism in America and finding that super profound and and thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And, and I grew up in, in predominantly white neighborhoods going to white churches. And so a lot of this information, even though I had had some kind of like, you know, in, in public schools in America, they talk about, you know, quote unquote, civil rights that it began and ended in the 60s. And so, so and that we're, we're over it now. And don't, don't even look at that anymore. Skip over that chapter or, or like, let's parade around the people who, who were peaceful and just like, you know, not giving reason why they, why, why anyone would not be peaceful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, or explaining that position. And so, um, and, and I, and I wrote about this in a really kind of crass way in, in my book that's coming out later this year. Um, but, but the point is, is that it was very easy to get behind somebody who, who who you're parading for being peaceful um and so at like least martin luther king jr versus malcolm x let's say or yes, something like that exactly yeah. and so yeah. so you, so we're put, pitting these two individuals against each other when in reality there was a lot of reason to be unrested you know to, to be to have unrest and to be and to be um very active um and, and i'm not i'm not you know advocating for violence 
but I am saying that something profound needed to happen. And, um, and so anyway, so I was thinking, okay, what do I have at my disposal? What do I, what can I do? And so what, what I kind of, as, as a way to start, I guess, was to have my album release on the east side of town, to have the album release show East of Troost was really important to me. And so um, I knew of the gym theater and I went and looked at it and I said, this is going to work. Uh, I know that a lot of people who, who live on the west side or the more coming from the white neighborhoods don't hang out over there. You're, you are a rare individual <laughs> to, 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 to know that neighborhood and to have been spending time there um, uh, on, a, on a, you know, as, as somebody who, who visits multiple times. Because I think some people visit there as if it's like a resort or like an attraction and they're not thinking about that as a neighborhood, like as a place to go to, you know? And so, and um, at least that's my experience with it. Because a lot of the bars and stuff that I would hang out in and do music in were on the west side of, you know, west of, west, the west of Troost, I guess. Um, as if to if to say that that's, uh, that is a dividing line in town. And so, and then, um, with the, with the, with the marching band. So the, with the rental of that room required that we, that we, um, that we get, we had to be out of the venue by 11 PM. And I was like, how, how are we going to do that in a way that doesn't make people feel like they're being shoved out like cattle? Because I don't know about you, but when people turn the lights on after like a really cool show and they're like, get out. Like that just really, it puts like a horrible feeling on the whole experience. Like that, like it really colors the whole experience. And you have, uh, you know, worked for months in rehearsals, figuring out budgets, figuring out sponsors, figuring out catering, figuring out costumes, figuring out um, musical arrangements and rehearsals and putting this album together and all the press releases and all the radio interviews. And, and so to have all of that experience built up to this two hours and then to have all of that like kiboshed by a custodian turning on the lights and saying, get out. It's unacceptable to me. So, hmm. <laughs> so, wow. so I was like, how do we, how can we get everyone to, to leave the room immediately and have it feel awesome that they're doing it like under their own volition. So, so as, as the closer of that song cantaloupe, that was the first time I sang it live. And it was, you know, everyone had seen had seen the album artwork by that point, and they knew that the name of the show and stuff like that. So, so everything built up to this song, everything built to this, to this, um, to this moment, and um, and 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 then as soon as the, the there was the, the the pedal drop at the end of that song, we can't elope. Um, then then we hear the band playing out in the lobby and i had like this scepter that had a poseidon's trident mm -hmm. and and i was in this in this like you know tool tool wedding dress full of like dead flowers and 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 wedding trinkets and and i go out to the lobby and listen to the band play and then we go out to the street and we have a parade to the place where we we're having the after party the, the mutual musicians foundation down the street and around the corner and so i i parade everyone out of of, of the room and we follow the band down 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 the block and um with with me at the front and um and an artist by the name of David Ford who is really a part of the the um the Mardi Gras community which is like how anyway there's there's there there are mm -hmm. lots of layers to this mm -hmm. um 
but I, but I, but the things that you mentioned uh, uh, were actually not even necessarily a part of the original vision. Okay. But I am understanding the ripples of 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 that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, like there, the, uh, like it, it, it symbolically, it, what it meant to me, you know, even as a solo artist, to be able to, f- to fill up a theater, a, a local quote unquote local artist in Kansas City to fill up a theater on a weekend, was something that I had never. I didn't think I could do, and I felt like, like that would be an accomplishment in and of itself, you know. Mm-hmm. And because um, as a as a musician of in, in this town in particular, I always felt like if I wasn't a band, or if I wasn't presenting my brand as a band, then then I would never be able to gather people, and and I had to prove myself that I could do that, that I that that I was enough, that my work was enough. That that I didn't need an, a bigger headliner to to get people into the room, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all of these kinds of things that I was like really wrestling with, and um, you know, is it, it, even if I'm not playing jazz music in this on this street on this block, am I still a musician? I remember, and I'm so sorry to be so tangential, but um, I remember a few you know months before that happened. And my uh, um, my friend was playing at the Mutual Musicians Foundation, and he had left his cell phone um, at my house or something, and he ran to go do that gig. And so I met him at the venue, and it was before the venue had opened. He was doing a rehearsal beforehand, and there was a bouncer outside, and I had my friend's phone, and the bouncer says, "Are you a musician?" And I just like froze. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm not playing here tonight because I'm not a jazz musician. I'm not, I'm not. That's not the kind of music I make. So when he says, "Are you a musician?" is he asking me, "Do you play music? Do you are you a professional musician, or are you a jazz musician?" Like, and I just didn't know what to say. I was like, "Uh, uh, my my friend's inside." <laughs> which, which, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a home. I don't have a, <laughs> right. What box do I fit in? All those right. Things, yeah. And so, and so, 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 bearing you know that in mind, it's like, okay, do I belong here? Am I a musician? Do I is my work credible? Is is you know, and all these kind of questions. Am I only credible in the folk community because that's been a, a huge part of my work or like a part of my my career is, is, is working with folk musicians and 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 in the, in the folk community although I don't really necessarily fit there either and so yeah this is kind of it was a lot of these personal questions as well and personal insecurities and and trying to um, to see you know it, it, in the world do I do I do I fit here mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, let's, let's, um, I, I really want to encourage people to not only listen to the album Cantaloupe, uh, but also uh, check out your, the music videos that you've done and produced and the, the visual components. Your, your music is amazing. I think your lyrics are really, really good. But at the same time, you, you are so visual in, mm. in all that you do. And, and there's so much, meaning and layered to the visual components to what you do it's it's just it adds so much to it i love it so mm. yeah so why don't why don't we go ahead and have you do cantaloupe for us is that okay yeah, yeah for sure and then um and then we'll after your song maybe we'll we'll just uh we'll, we'll share a couple more thoughts and wrap wrap our time up but man thanks for sharing all that it's uh <laughs> it's fun to hear your heart and your vision for uh what you want to do with this thing that's sacred and transcendent. This 
This is Calvin Arsenia playing Cantaloupe. That's good. <laughs> it's a delicate thing. I take that toothy grin over just about any other thing. Pages and worn out pages, but what good would that do if you would just be patient, patient, darling, patient? I'm already bowed to you, to you. Oh, 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 we can't love. As simple as that be Where's the fun in it When we could flaunt a bit We can't love We can't love Hey, all right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I love 
I love to read lyrics. And so mm-hmm. like when I do a, when I listen to any music, I, I mean, I have to love the music, but I, I'm one of the, I'm always diving into the lyrics of things. And, and I, I love the, you know, I love imagery and metaphors and things that are put into words. And yeah, I think I'm, I think it deep down, I'm like, man, couldn't I have just been a songwriter instead of a <laughs> pastor, preacher, teacher, you know, anyway. Yeah. It's just so much more, uh, so much more poetry to it. And then I used to, I, I used to memorize, you know, like sermons from black pastors who were far more rhythmic and all that. And I try to do it, but then it's just, you know, it's like, ah, that, that was part of like, okay, I got to be myself, you know, <laughs> yeah because it, some things just didn't quite work. Uh, but at uh, any rate, it was, uh, it was wonderful to talk to you about your musical career and, yeah. and I look forward to having uh, many more conversations with you. I can, I like my brain just pops off <laughs> on all kinds of topics, not just music, but you know, mm-hmm. our, our, our backgrounds and mm-hmm. our experiences and our journeys. It's, it's been great to uh, have you on our podcast. So thanks for joining us at Spirituality Adventures and thanks yeah, for thanks everybody. For yeah. <laughs> thanks for everybody to tune in and we'll see you next time at Spirituality Adventures. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to visit our support page at www.spiritualityadventures.com. If you like what you heard, be sure to share it and leave a comment. Thanks again. Have a great day. Harvey Media Production.